Okay, this is Gary Parrish from CBSSports.com. It's now late Thursday, February 5th. This is basically going to amount to the Friday podcast on the Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. Just recording it late on uh, Thursday because travel plans made Friday morning impossible. Lots of things I want to get to today, and we're going to get to most of them, I'm certain. But I want to start with the big news in the world of college basketball, which is Syracuse's self-imposed postseason ban. I'm joined, of course, by Matt Norlander and Sam Vecini. Matt, I'll ask you first. What did you make of Syracuse's postseason ban? Uh, well, happy Thursday evening to you, fellas. Happy yeah, this Thursday. one, this is pretty sizable news. Um, timing of it was interesting. Uh, I make of it a lot of what you and uh, Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, uh, both of you wrote very accurate, poignant columns um, detailing the timing of this. And, and I guess my takeaway from both what Syracuse has done in putting itself in a corner for this year, not playing in the ACC tournament, not playing in any sort of NCAA or what was likely to be the NIT tournament. Um, we have reached a point here where people, not that we weren't in on this before, but um, I would I would think that the NCAA is, is not deaf to this. And while schools can do this and there is actual impact on it, when it's done in such a way this late into the season, when they're – the only thing that's really at stake here is robbing college seniors who are deserving of something a little more uh, rewarding than playing essentially their final few games under meaningless circumstances. Um, the NCAA will probably start to take note and either bring upon harsher penalties going forward or or simply stop acknowledging this kind of action, which is just dripping in transparency as something that's worthy enough. Um, I do think that this will not be where it ends for Syracuse. I'm not going to predict exactly how much more is going to come, if it'll be some sort of vacated wins, if statute of limitations applies there. I don't know. Uh, I tell you what, though, if the findings that the NCAA finishes with in its notice of allegations and it decides to ban Syracuse for next year's postseason tournament, then we've got... uh, a, a very monumental story with serious impact and a in a game changing decision if that were to happen. How likely? I don't know, but I think something like that would then seriously change the way schools operate in ways like this. Now with Syracuse and to a much lesser degree, Southern Miss, a terrible team this year, putting itself on probation for a year for allegations that it happened supposedly under Donnie Tyndall. I think the calendar is important for people to understand. Um, this isn't something where Syracuse could have just found out about new allegations last week. They went before the Committee on Infractions, I think in October. Yes. Okay. It was, remember, you went to the ACC media yes. day in Beheim, literally the next day was going to go. Yes, it's exactly right. Okay, so it's October. They go before the Committee on Infractions, and Beheim was completely dismissive of everything. I can remember the scene now. It was There was a lot of us there, but um, I, I was there. Pat Forty was there. Dane O'Neill was clever, there. Man. I'm sorry? He called you clever. He called me clever. You remember that. You actually remember more about this column than I remember. So <laughs> he just wouldn't um, He wouldn't engage in any way. But he, it wouldn't just like, I'm not going to engage because I've been told not to talk about it. It wasn't even one of those deals. It was like, this is all nothing. And that, that was certainly the implication. Like, this is all silly. It's beneath me. I'm not worried about it. One day I'll be able to sit down with all of you and explain it, and then you'll understand better in the sort of the way that he does about everything. And I don't even mean this in a bad way. It's just Jim Beheim. I don't even, like. I got no issues with Jim Beheim on a personal level. He's always been like 
I don't want to say cool because I don't know if cool is the right word, but he's always been like fine. Like he's not he's not a jerk, but he can be he can be dismissive. You know what I mean? Like he can just be dismissive of every like Bernie Fine allegations, just sort of dismissive of them. And he handled that terribly, but basically everything. And for years, literally years, he's been dismissive of of all of this NCAA stuff, tried to suggest that anybody who had um, the desire to ask about it or report on it was just stupid for a variety of reasons. And then we get to February 4th and they announce that they're going to self-impose a ban right after they just lost three of their past five games and, and found themselves on the outside of any reasonable projected bracket. So the idea that the timing of it is just a coincidence is crazy to me. They have basically waited to recognize this season's going nowhere and we really only have one senior right now. So let's go ahead and, and ban ourselves now and hope that the NCAA will accept that as a worthy penalty. And it is a real penalty, at the very least, to Rakeem Christmas. Uh, but I hope the NCAA is as smart as um, most people who are viewing this from a distance. Um, I hope the NCAA sees the same thing, which this is a calculated penalty that amounts to... Um, that, that amounts to not exactly what Syracuse is trying to suggest it amounts to. Sam, there's no other way to view this, is there? Um, I don't think so. The funnier thing to me is that Whenever I read the uh, article, I think that Donna DeTota uh, up in Syracuse wrote it sure. about what they what they did and everything. They said that like they had told the NCAA beforehand that this was going to be their recourse, and then they announced it on National Signing Day for football, like seemingly thinking that it like wouldn't be a big deal. That's the impression I got from it. Whenever I like. Oh, that's PR. That's PR 101. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Do you think it's not going to be a big deal? Bury it in the middle of something. (laughs) I remember talking to a college basketball coach one time about they were getting ready to enroll a controversial player. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember exactly what this what this thing. Something happened huge in the sports world. Like, I'm just going to make something up. Like, let's say it was it was on the day that LeBron James decided he's going back to Cleveland. Right. Right. And I was like, dude, if you're like you, if you already know you're going to enroll the kid, you should announce it today because like nobody <laughs> will care. Everybody's talking about LeBron James. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, that is what happened um, yesterday. It's yep. not an accident that this was released and announced on National Signing Day. It was never going to get buried because it's Hall of Fame coach Syracuse basketball postseason ban. Um, yeah. But it it was lost a little bit in the news cycle because people were you know consumed with where 17 and 18 year old football players uh, were going. And I know that. Um, Syracuse has made it clear that they had informed the NCAA of this penalty previously, and and I have no reason to think that's untrue, but previously is a pretty vague word. Like, previously could have been Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? It is. Yeah, yeah. right. And so, I don't know. I just, I, I see it as, um, hey, we're not going to be very good. This year's not going anywhere. We're probably not actually banning ourselves from the NCAA tournament as much as right. we're banning ourselves from the NIT. So let's go ahead and take a penalty now, and hopefully the NCAA will count, give us credit for that going forward. Um, I, I just like to think, even if the NCAA in and of itself, the people who are, you know, in charge of this decision, even if they weren't smart enough to to understand what this was, I, I'd like to think that the number of columns being written about this and the number of people commenting on this. Um, will put the NCAA in a position where they have to 
to act more severe if if the penalties uh, require it to not let Syracuse get off with what seems like a very convenient, quote, postseason um, a ban. Here's the other thing I wanted to ask you guys about, though, because, and I've talked to some people about this, the idea that kids get punished for stuff that has nothing to do with them. Like, not only did Rakeem Christmas have nothing to do with this, but nobody on that Syracuse roster had anything to do with this. And I can be less sympathetic to the other kids because, like, you're a freshman at Syracuse right now. Um, I think these these uh, the idea that an NCAA investigation had been launched into Syracuse was initially reported by Dennis Dodd at CBSSports.com. In uh, two th- yeah, um, we're going on almost two years ago. I think it was 2011, maybe. Or was it even? Wow, was it even that far back? He definitely was the first, and it was a while back. It was during tournament time. Yeah, I want to say it was March 2011, which means um, you know before the 11-12 season, which would have been before the 12-13, 13-14, 14-15. My point being, if you've committed to, or signed with, or enrolled at Syracuse um, recently, you were doing it. In a, in a time period where you knew, because it had been reported, that uh, this program was at least possibly facing NCAA sanctions. And so I can, and beyond that, uh, as long as you stick with Syracuse, come back for the next year, and, and they hit you with a postseason ban, and as long as they don't hit you with an additional postseason ban, you will get to play in the postseason again. Meantime, Rakeem Christmas, his, game, his final game is going to be March 7th, 2015 in Raleigh against NC State. And I was thinking about this earlier. We almost never know when a college basketball player's last Real game is going to be. You just don't know because you get a conference tournament and then who you know that could lead to literally anything. It could everybody's conference tournament could lead to a national championship by definition. Right. And so you never know where your career is going to end on February, you know, 5th or 6th. And and yet we Rakeem Christmas now knows where his career is going to end. And so I've been bouncing this around with other people. Is it fair to punish kids who had nothing to do with it in college athletics? And on one hand, I go, how else do you do it? On the other hand, I go, let's figure out another way to do it. And the the, the most common answer I've heard to that um, question over the past 24 hours is a coach suspension. In other, yep. wo- in other words, okay, these things happened. Under your watch, Jim Beheim, we are not going to concern ourselves with how much you knew about it or how much you were involved. Um, we're going to call it strict liability. You're responsible for your program. These are the allegations. These are what we're charging you with. This is what you've essentially been found guilty of. And you, the penalty is not going to be Syracuse can't compete in the ACC tournament. It's going to be you can't coach for a year. Here's a one. Now, now keep your paycheck because we can't get involved in finding people that kind of money. But you are not going to coach Syracuse basketball for a year. And I'm talking about like across the board. The, not under Syracuse, Jabeon, but the next guy that gets in trouble. We're not going to uh, vacate wins. We're not going to postseason ban. But the coach is going to face stiff penalties. And if we get into one of these situations like, you know, where John Calipari leaves Memphis on probation, uh, then that penalty can attach to him at his new school. Is this is that even a practical way to look at it, Matt? I think it is a practical way. I don't know. Here's the pro- All right. So here's the problem with that. Um when you get to a Syracuse level and you start dealing, because the NCAA basically is uh, an organization 
comprised, as any NCAA-paid employee will tell you out of Indianapolis, by its member institutions, okay? So Syracuse is a major member in that institution. It votes toward things that the NCAA operates on. So you're basically then um, going after major partners, okay? And while we as writers think that's the fair way, I think it's the only fair and practical way that you can ever do this, okay? Because um, it is, it's it's forever uh, a very difficult uh, pickle that is, you've got yourself in. Because yeah, it sucks to totally punish these players that didn't have anything to do with it. But as you said, and even if they don't follow the stories, you know, you just know that a kid that's debating between going to Syracuse and three other schools, the other schools, other schools let schools him know, negatively recruiting against Syracuse and letting them know that this yeah. is a possibility. There's so no scenario. Only- yeah, there is no scenario under which any kid. At, who is enrolled at Syracuse since 2011 has done so without an understanding of the fact that there was an NCAA investigation ongoing at Syracuse. Again, even if they don't follow the news, even if they've never heard of me or you or anybody else, uh, the, uh, the schools recruiting against Syracuse use that against them without exception. Yes, and so strict liability for the coaches, I think, is the only way that we can reasonably say that schools can be punished in this way. Kids just... Kids, yeah, they, they go to schools for a lot of reasons for their coach, but ultimately they just they want to play. They know that they want to have the belief that they know that they can play, that they can play come March, and they'll take that even if it means that they don't have the guy who primarily you know recruited them in a, in a grander sense, uh, bringing them to the program. But the question is, did the NCAA have the stones to do something like that? Yeah. You know, if we find out three years from now, a coach, and again, this is totally hypothetical. I'm not, you know, it, let's just say like, um, who's a, like Tony Bennett, right? A guy you could never see doing something like this. Let's say Tony Bennett gets himself into a really bad situation. Um, would the NCAA have the guts to say, you know what, Tony Bennett, you're going to be suspended for an entire season for stuff like this. That way your players currently aren't affected by it. I think it's an extremely powerful way. And especially if we, if they do it in ways we've talked about on this podcast in, in years past, where coaches no longer have the benefit of, or the protection at saying that something that happened while they were, at their school, even if they weren't involved, there has to be a certain amount of responsibility tied to them because when you run a program, that's the breaks. You get a lot of perks. This is one of the drawbacks, so to speak. So, yes, GP, I think we're on the same page here. And Sam, definitely want your thoughts. But I don't, I have my doubts. The NCAA has the guts to do this in the current climate as we have it right now. Well, I will say this, that they have suspended coaches before. Like we've seen Jim Calhoun serve a suspension. Andy Bennett got suspended. Who did? Randy, Randy Bennett, Bennett got suspended. From, right. Yeah, Randy Bennett but, got suspended. I mean, have we ever seen one go more than 10 games? No, I, I mean, not off the top of my head. And so right. that's what I'm no. saying. So it can be done. It can be done because they've done it. But, like, do you have, as you put it, Norlander, I'll use your term, stones to, um, to, to actually take, in this case, it would be a Hall of Famer off the court for a year. If you want to... I don't want to overstate it. I don't think you'll ever, quote, clean up college basketball. But if you want to take a significant step in that direction, start start hitting people with penalties that matter. And honestly, as Syracuse is showing right now, this postseason ban ain't going to matter that much. I mean, it, it's going to – they've essentially banned themselves from – the ACC tournament, which is it, that's that means something. I'm yeah, not, that's, I mean yeah. that's decent. It's, yeah. I, I really don't want to like downplay. Right. Like, this I does yeah. have some impact here. Sure. But let's be real. Like yeah. Syracuse's season was kind of a forgotten and lost season here. Of Next year they bring in a huge recruiting class. Right. If you take that away from them, then it's like extremely sizable. And as we said before, like that actually has 
real wide lasting impact and could be sort of an unprecedented move. Oh, how about this? Right. What if what if, you, what if you what if you announced right now that Syracuse was going to be banned from the 2016 NCAA tournament or in let's just uh, in uh, 2016 postseason? Did those kids they got signed start asking for releases? You know, what yeah. if you, what if you're a one and done mm-hmm. prospect? You're not going to go enroll at a school that's banned right. from the postseason if you're a one and done guy. And so um, this is again a calculated move. We all agree on that. Um, but if you re- and, and I don't even like so so what Jim Beheim's going to have to coach another six weeks of meaningless basketball and then um, he'll get ready for next year and presumably be be eligible for the postseason. This is not a penalty that really bites. You want to bite somebody? Make it clear to all coaches: do whatever you want to do. But if we catch you in major violations and we go through the process, however long it takes, uh, we're not going to pre- prevent the the student athletes. From, from competing in the postseason, and we're not going to compete the schools at large from competing in the postseason, but you, you the guy for responsible for the program, you're going to have to sit out a year or, or, or a half a season or an entire postseason. Ban coaches, don't ban players, and let's see if that changes the things. Because I don't think if I were a college basketball coach watching what Syracuse is going through right now, I'm not sure how much that would uh, prevent me from, from operating on the other side of the gray area. Yeah, I'm basically with both of you guys. I think that penalizing the coaches is the biggest thing. If you kind of wanted to cut the middle of what you guys are saying, if like suspending coaches is the nuclear option and just suspending for postseason is the like downplayed option that doesn't really affect anything, take away something like four scholarships where Syracuse is affected for the next three years and then tell the kids that they can transfer or something like that. Like if, if you really want to hurt Syracuse and want to hurt Bayheim, where he is going to have trouble reaching a thousand wins or something like that, that's how you do it. You suspend him, you take away scholarships. You don't ban something that is basically meaningless. And I, and I then just, and this is the point DeCourcy made, Mike DeCourcy made over at the sporting news um, to do it in the middle of the season. I think fundamentally wrong because yes. if you did it, um, if you did it in, in like in the off season, I would actually be okay with this. If the NCAA could work with Syracuse and say, okay, you're going to self-impose a postseason ban. We are going to make the student-athletes aware, and we're also going to let them know that if they want to transfer and play immediately somewhere else so that they don't lose their postseason possibilities, that they're free to do it. That will be part of your punishment as well. They don't have to leave. If they want to stay, they can, but we're going to give them the option to do it. They do do this with APR you know, uh, postseason bans. Like If you only have one year of eligibility left, and your school is is in a postseason ban. You're yeah, free. You're you're free to transfer. So I actually think that would be a, a a significant, but also somewhat fair penalty. Yes, Syracuse, mm-hmm. you get a postseason ban, but you cannot you can't decide to take it in February. Like you, you can decide to take it in the off season before your student athletes are enrolled in classes, or at least before they're enrolled in the fall semester. And if they want to leave and transfer without penalty, play somewhere else, then they're allowed to do that. That would be something with teeth and it would be something that wouldn't catch student athletes in a bad spot these kids woke up uh, you know uh, on 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 monday morning thinking they were still trying to figure out a way to get to the NCAA tournament and then on wednesday they're told hey that's off the table now that's to me take everything else put it aside that's just wrong that's just a wrong thing to do and when your motives are so obvious to everybody um, I don't know. If I were Syracuse, if I were the adults who had to release that press release yesterday, I'd be a little embarrassed while I was doing it. 
Yeah, and I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that, you know, Syracuse's best pro prospect has been out for the season for a couple of weeks sure. now, Chris McCullough. That's another thing that could just, you know, it factors into this. And I, I am wondering when the NCAA is going to finally come down with this stuff. I mean, 40 has done some good reporting on this in the past, and there was some, I think, some denial from Syracuse fans about the validity of a lot of this stuff. And, you know, we've known that that punishment has been coming, but it's just a matter of, the timeline, the statute of limitations, and we're not just dealing with one thing here. I mean, there are allegations of multiple failed drug tests, ignoring protocol there, um, grades and tests from certain players on the up and up, whether it's Fab Mello or perhaps someone else. There's a lot of moving parts with this case, and we certainly this has this by no means is the end of of, of what Syracuse is going through. Um, it's just the first major step, and I would think with this move, we should. This is a, a guess on my part. But I think, GP, when you're talking offseason, I would think that we are going to have resolutions with this in the coming months. I don't think it's going to drag on too much longer from the NCAA's end. All right, let me bottom line it with this, and then we'll move on. Norlander, I'll ask you first, then you, Sam. If, if Syracuse was not 15-7 and seven overall right now, but instead 19-3, and 19-3 and three and heading into Saturday's game at Pitt, would they have announced a would they have announced a self-imposed postseason ban in the middle of the week? No. Sam? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't no. think so either. And 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 once we can all agree on that, and I don't know that any reasonable person would disagree with that, then this is what it is. And again, just to wrap it back around, I hope the NCAA is smart enough to recognize it. I want to talk to you guys about Texas. They lost again, and that's now four straight. I was kind of okay with a three-game losing streak to the extent you could be okay with a three-game losing streak because the three-game losing streak was home to Kansas. You'd rather not lose it, but good teams can lose that game. Uh, At Iowa State, everybody's losing that game. At Baylor, basically everybody's losing that game. My point being, you can be a legitimate top 20 team, and if your schedule puts you in a position where you got to play Kansas at Iowa State at Baylor consecutively, you can very easily take a three-game losing streak. So I kept the uh, Longhorns ranked, and I wasn't that concerned. But then when you take a home loss to Oklahoma State, even though it was in overtime, it's still a home loss to Oklahoma State, another 3-6 and six, uh, in the Big 12, and they've still got road games at Kansas State, at Oklahoma, at West Virginia, and at Kansas. They are probably going to finish below 500 in the Big 12. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I'm wondering, Norlander, you tell me, A, what's wrong with Texas? B, can they make the NCAA tournament under 500 in the Big 12? Uh, ooh, under 500. I That's mean, what they're going to be, by the way. If they got the right, if they if they got the right wins, and then they didn't fall on their face in the Big 12 tournament, they could make it. Um, they're going to be an interesting case. What's wrong with them, man? They are just not. They're not as good as I thought they would be with Isaiah Taylor back. They're they're five and six with him starting. And which he's not the reason. Don't get me wrong, but I, you just didn't expect this. Um, and I was wrong on Texas. I had them as a. Final floor sleeper type of team. I thought they would have a decent shot at beating Kentucky earlier this year, and in fact, they played a great first half against Kentucky back way back in early December. Um, I'm sure Sam has seen Texas plenty and kind of kind of player for what he is. You know, this is a future NBA guy, a first round. 
he's done well. Jonathan Holmes has been a little more inconsistent from how he started. Um, yeah, they've had you know a few consistency issues in terms of players and rosters. Javon Felix has been out now. Obviously, Taylor being out. They're very vexing. Um, of course, a lot of Texas fans are going to want to blame Rick Barnes. I'm not willing to go that far and say this is all on Barnes because I just I, I don't believe that. Um, their turnover percentage on defense, though, is... I just brought up their Ken Palm page. It's 14.8% of possessions. <laughs> that's the fifth worst in the country. That's kind of ridiculous for the players that Texas has. So that's certainly a huge aspect of all of this. But, yeah, the four-game skid is bad. They now have to play uh, a Kansas State team, which probably isn't going to make the tournament, but as desperate as anything to get a win. So this is um, this is certainly becoming uh, a very disappointing season for Rick after, of course, last season when they played – above expectation, and won a game in the tournament. Let me ask you this, um, Sam. Last night on Inside College Basketball um, on CBS Sports Network, I was talking to John Rostein about, about Texas after, immediately after the loss to Oklahoma State, and he suggested that Miles Turner is the issue. And not because Miles Turner isn't awesome, but because sometimes you have a roster and it's got great chemistry and everybody understands their roles and everybody understands their position and it just works. And then you insert somebody who not only changes the dynamics of the team, but changes other people's roles and it can have an, an adverse effect on, on, on the product. Do you buy into that at all? Um, kind of. I, th- I, I actually get, thought I, I actually thought that was a, I actually thought that was a fair point. I, I understand the point of it, but again, that kind of falls to the coach to get everything back together. You're sure. adding a top ten NBA draft pick to the fold. You got to get stuff together, and you have a you have a senior leader in Jonathan Holmes that was willing to move to the wing to accommodate this guy. You have one of the best defensive stoppers in Demarcus Holland in the country. There's like this this team isn't lacking for glue guys, I guess that like wouldn't be able to accommodate this kind of this kind of player. The, the problem is they still have no idea who their five best players are like on the court at the same time. Like fair point. Yeah. Like uh, over the last five games, no lineup has played more than 10% of their minutes. And hmm. that, that speaks to the fact that Barnes just hasn't figured out who the best guys are. And it's really hard whenever you're playing all these great teams in the big 12 that have, all of these set rotations basically at this point um, it's really hard to go in and get those wins. Like, and part of it is that you can blame the Isaiah Taylor in, or injury for throwing everything off and like setting them back a couple months or setting them back a month, I guess. But the other thing is here, like you, you've had enough games at this point to really get stuff together and you're still are tinkering with rotations and still trying to figure out who your guys are. Um, and that part does fall on Barnes at my, in my opinion. Um, whether or not they make the NCAA tournament, I think that they can make the NCAA tournament um, even with a losing record. Say they go eight yeah, and, and ten. Yeah, and just It'll so we're just, yeah, and just so we're clear, beat, right? But, but just so we're clear, let me. There is nothing. There's like not a rule that says you can't make it with a you know there it, yeah. uh, with a losing record. I mean, it's just part. Your conference record is just nothing more than part of your overall resume. But it, it's not. This a, is a really weak bubble year too. Yeah. So it, so it, it's certainly possible. When I ask, can they do it? Of course they can do it. I guess my question is, will they do it? Are they going to be able to get there? I think that they probably are. I think that they end up as an NCAA tournament team, but this is a team that has had problems since like the end of December. They lost a home game to Stanford. They got destroyed on their home floor to Oklahoma. Um, they lost double digits to Oklahoma State, who they who's now swept them. Oklahoma State has swept Texas, which is crazy compared to their preseason expectations. Um, 
it's just that they need to get they need to figure out who their five best players are and try and lean on those guys, even if that involves Cameron Ridley making maybe taking a step back or Connor Lambert maybe taking a step back. Because I think that Miles Turner and Isaiah Taylor are their two best players along with Jonathan Holmes. So those are the three that you build around and you just fill around them, I think, and just make it work. Oh, real quickly, Sam, uh, the Orlando Magic have fired their coach. I only bring it up because um, the Orlando Sentinel did a, like a list of candidates, and it had a couple of college names in there. John Calipari was one. Fred Hoiberg was another. I, I think Billy Donovan's name is going to be attached to it. I, John I just, Calipari is on the list. Well, okay. like he, they're on every list. It's, it's yeah. Sort of, yeah. I'm sure Kevin Holly would be on a list. Right. Some, uh, here's like, my question, though. Like, it seems pretty, uh, pretty much the uh, consensus among the high-profile college coaches that, um, hey, yeah, interested in the NBA, but I'm only taking a good job. I'm only taking a place with a future. I'm only taking a place where I can win. Um, <laughs> that's why Golden State was attractive to people. Uh, Cleveland right. with LeBron would be attractive to people. But, you know, the Pistons job wasn't attractive to people, so on and so forth. Uh, I guess my question is this, Sam. You follow the NBA. Do the Magic have the type of young core with Oladipo and and uh, Alfred Payton that would maybe make a high profile college coach jump. I mean, this is another reason why the, the rumors are that Orlando is considering hiring Scott Skiles or somewhere in that like vicinity, an old retreat NBA coach over the all-star break coming up next week. And that's just another reason why they shouldn't do that. They should take their time just to hire an interim guy who is on their bench now and just roll with him at the end of the year. Because I think a lot of whether or not a college coach would be willing to jump is going to depend on where they end up in the lottery. Yeah. Like if, you end up getting the first overall pick and you have Jaleel Okafor with Alfred Payton and Aaron Gordon. That's a pretty darn good uh, core right there that you can build around, especially in the Eastern conference. But if you're in that like fifth pick range, sixth pick range, if you get the sixth pick, you're talking like a cavalcade of maybes basically, instead of the consensus, like top four of Okafor towns, Moutier and D'Angelo Russell at this point. So I, I think that, maybe it's the kind of situation that could jump depending on where they end up in the draft. But um, right now, I don't think it is. Right. I, I don't I don't think the pieces fit on that roster right now. Uh, I'm not a fan of what Hennigan has done recently. He just brings in kind of athletes and lets them go wild. And I, I don't really buy that. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, yeah, what is the rush? Why not just wait until after the, until after the lottery set and then you, you can get – I mean, Cleveland's the best recent example of this. Think of the yep. caliber of coach, of candidate you can get if they know LeBron James and Kyrie Irving are going to be there, as opposed to when they don't think LeBron James is going to be there. Like I said, you're you're shop, you're 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 fishing in different waters completely. So it's one thing for the Orlando to try to just hire a coach randomly. It's another thing to try to hire a coach if you happen to win the lottery and you've got. Uh, you know who's on the roster? Tobias Harris, Oladipo, yeah. El- Harris is a free agent. He'll yeah. be, he'll be, yeah. He's probably what? He's probably out, right? He's a he's a restricted free agent. Okay, but probably... like they have enough guys that play his same position that he seems like he wants to go elsewhere. Okay, but if you go Peyton Oladipo and the number one pick in the draft, that's something that might make you, if you're yeah. a co- NBA coach of candidate, go okay. So now we're talking um, Peyton Oladipo and Jalil oh. Okafor. Okay, and Aaron Gordon. Right, right. 
Okay, now we'll, we'll look at that. So I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that yeah, you know no. when, when some of these NBA jobs open, they're just whatever. They're just bad jobs. But uh, everything I gather is that Orlando has the type of young core that might, maybe might uh, make somebody pay attention. Last thing before we get out of here, a um, couple of big ACC games uh, this weekend. Notre Dame at Duke and Louisville at Virginia. Norlander, who wins them? Uh, um, I don't see Virginia losing. And they did a great job rebounding, Terrific. by the way. I mean – the, it might have been a little bit of Carolina um, just feeling the skids after they totally just lost it against Louisville. Um, the, I was expecting Virginia to win, but maybe not that easily. So I'm still uh, thinking Virginia is going to be fairly successful. The, the Notre Dame-Duke game is just intriguing to me uh, because they played such a great game recently, and this is a fairly, you know, it's a quick turnaround. They've only had, what, two games in between. Um, I, I would think... Duke's going to win it, but if they don't, and if Notre Dame does win that, um, the Irish will have, especially if Virginia loses, I mean, particularly like mathematically if they lose, but if, if uh, even if they don't and Notre Dame wins, we'll still have an ACC race that I find to be very compelling. As we talked about at the beginning of the week on the podcast, we're going to have teams still in the thick of one-seed hunts, um, and that's a great thing for the ACC, particularly when we talk about Syracuse and it being a non-factor. Um, but, you know, Virginia and Notre Dame chasing, Louisville still looking good, Carolina's got to get a hold of itself, and Duke, while its hopes are, are distant, um, it basically needs to beat Notre Dame to remain in the race. Sam, any reason to pick one of the visitors, or are you going with both home teams? Um, well, I'm definitely going Virginia. I think that their transition defense is too good. They've only given up uh, four points, I think, once this year. I saw this stat today. Like, I don't know if you tweeted it and or somebody tweeted yeah, it. It's just crazy. Jeff, Jeff Greer of the Courier-Journal. Who does a great job, by the way. Today. Yeah, he does. And I think that Virginia is like, I just don't know that Louisville is going to be able to score easily enough on Virginia, but Notre Dame against Duke. I think that Notre Dame goes into Cameron and wins. Oh, wow. Right? Because I think that Duke still hasn't figured out their perimeter defense issues. Um, I think that Notre Dame just has a really, really good matchup with Zach Augusta inside. They've got Jaron Grant and Demetrius Jackson outside who can get penetration, who can really, really attack those guards. And I just think it's, like I said, I think it's a really, really good matchup against that Duke team. And I think that Notre Dame goes into Cameron and wins. I think I'm going to take both home teams, but I feel, I feel better about Virginia. Like I, I saw somebody yeah. tweet this. It might've been Jeff I do too. as well. Tweet this earlier. He, uh, like that Rick Patino actually tries to teach his players transition defense by showing them Virginia's transition <laughs> defense. Like he's the team they're about to play is like, uh, like, Hey, if we could be a little more like them or a lot more like them, we would be better off. So um, I think people were exposed to that some on Monday night in the North Carolina game. Cause they were fabulous. And then you, you of course uh, detailed it at cbsports.com. but I'm looking forward to both games. I will take Virginia and Duke. Um, which means I'm just riding with the favorites, which means I'm pretty predictable. How's that? How's that? Uh, hold on. Last call for drunk bets. What are we at right now? We okay, exactly at 500. Okay. We, I, was, I, would, no, well, I was above 500, all right? Above 500, one game above for the first time I in a while. I respect this move that you're about to mention, by the way. I, I respect this move. And so the, the, game, the play was going to be Kansas State minus three and a half. And I posted the play, and then they suspend Marcus Foster, which makes it very clear. you got to go the other way or at least take the game off the board. You can't. You're not <laughs> taking Kansas State minus three and a half without Marcus Foster on the road. And so, right. um, But then I, uh, readers told me that uh, Vegas, is, there are no, you know, once you make a play, the play is in, regardless of what happens. And that is true. And so I had to stick by it and watch Tubby Smith cost us money. There you go. Uh, Tubby Smith cost us money. 
over and over again. I never, I've been, and so, um, and so now we're we're back to 500. But I suspect by the time I uh, go to bed tonight, we'll be up up up, up again, just stacking stacking big face hundreds. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'll bye. see you guys later. All right. If you want to subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, do it over on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. And either way, uh, we'll talk to you again on Monday. Have a good weekend. Take care.